Welcome to the Girly Men Podcast. My name is Mike Gurley, and I'm the host and founder of girlymen.com, a site for gay men and anyone self-identified as the other, designed to help you invest in your own dignity, strengthen your connection to your chosen families, and thrive in general society. Now that you've found us, please hit the subscribe button. Today's guest is J.D. Wolf. I met J.D. through my work with the Mankind Project. It's an organization dedicated to developing emotional literacy in men. Seeing him in action during a training was a lesson in empathy, strength, and heart-centered connection. So of course I wanted him on my show. JD is a professional life coach and yoga teacher. And so during this interview, we'll discuss reframing our gay history as a hero's journey, quality coaching, excellent advice on staying emotionally healthy during the coronavirus, and navigating relationships meaning knowing how to lean in and strengthen the ones that edify us while also creating distance when relations do not edify us. Welcome to the show. The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other. So you know oppression inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey. And that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection. Welcome home, brother. Well, J.D., J.D. Wolf, which I think is one of the coolest names I've ever seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to the Girly Men podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and chat with you this afternoon. So what's going on with you uh, today? I guess that was a loaded question. Yeah, well, I, I, I love a loaded question. Uh, I am good, if not a bit confused. I just can't help but periodically to have all these questions about like, you know, how how are things going? Uh, how are other people who are around me? How? But I'm, I'm not in a place of uh, worry. I just have such a deep respect for the way that you show up in the world and mm -hmm. um especially when i've seen you doing a very incredible life-changing work with men that's the, that's the work through the mankind project that i've seen that we've been able to participate in together so i'm really curious as to like how did jd wolf you know become this man what kind of wisdom can you give people about your experience the things that worked for you as far as investing in your dignity uh, what do you think some of the best things were that you did? Or maybe you could share some of the things that didn't work as well. I don't know. <laughs> no, I just laughed because I, I just, I, it just felt so far from dignity in the, you know, for a long time. It felt like such a struggle and so painful for so long. So to, to now name it dignity and claim it as, as dignified mm. uh, feels, feels so, uh, so, so like a, a really nice rewrite to the story, uh, which which I appreciate and which I'm willing to own. And I, 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 I suppose so transparent. I'm that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast is have people retell their story. I could tell a story about someone who was rejected by their faith and moved away and got AIDS and people died and. And all this like very serious tales of woe, but it is was a hero's journey where I learned empathy and strength and tenacity and family and all of those things. And having 
done that myself, I think that most of my brothers can do the same thing with their story. And I just wanted to drop that in here. Uh, sorry to interrupt you with that. So. No, I think it's well-placed. I feel like for, for me, where I get to retell that story is to look at it here with you and, and give it a, hold it differently. And, and that's what you're really offering. So I really appreciate this opportunity to hold my story in a different way. Um, and uh, I think what I was aware of very early on coming from a home where my father was an alcoholic, he's now passed away, and we, we had a good relationship there by the end because actually of the work that I'd done with MKP, mm -hmm. um, I was able to really have conversations with him. And I think that he was a man with a lot of heart and a lot of soul, but he didn't know how to uh, experience or express that. So in turn, he was this, this guy with a lot of heart and soul, but completely distant with the alcohol and, and from the family. So he was an absent father. So even though he was very much there, he wasn't there. He wasn't present. And uh, my mom, uh, she was there. She was, she was very much um, at everything that I did and present for my life. And, you know, she had as we all do our our fault she was a warrior etc but she was she was very much there and she was someone that i could talk to and still to this day very much can and she had my brothers and sisters as well to tend with and i'm the youngest of five and she had a, a tumultuous relationship that she had to deal with with my father and so i noticed that with my my family, um, that it wasn't going to be a place of support for me. Uh -huh. It wasn't going to be a place of safety and well-being. And for some reason, I craved that from a very early age. I don't know. Uh, my parents often would say in me growing up, they would just say, where have you come from? Because like, I really introduced, I had a I still do uh, these friends who lived right up the street from me and they would always tell each other they love each other. And as a family, they would say love to each other. And I would bring that home into our family and my family would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like that, this is crazy. What, why are you telling us you love us? Like Irish Catholic, that's just not how it goes around here. Haven't you got the memo? Yeah. And I had not received that memo for some reason. I wanted connection. I wanted support. I wanted love. I knew that my life was going to be challenging, knowing that I felt differently and that I couldn't quite categorize it yet because I was too young to even understand what was happening to me. Yeah. Um, but I just knew that for some reason I was going to need some level of support. And I had this neighbor, Lorraine, who uh, I would eat Sunday dinners with. And uh, she's still very much alive and I'm connected to her. And uh, that was very helpful for me to have someplace outside of my home to go to. And that felt like support. And I think she sort of started to help me to understand, not by what she said, but just by being there as a source of support, that I would need to find other mentors in my life. And so by seventh grade, I started running with the high school cross country and track team. Uh, and because of this one, one man, um, Jim Hoare was his name and is his name. And I ended up having a real ability to run. 
and was successful at it. And so I was part of the team early on. And, and what I learned there was um, how to think positively, how to self-talk in a way to get myself uh, prepared for a race. And then when I was in a race, how to be present and in the moment and really use my own inner self-talk to, to win, to, okay. to hold, hold my space. And I think that really helped start to develop me from a really early age that like, I'm the one who's running this story. I, I'm the one who, who's having thoughts, good or bad about myself, that are either going to help me to win or lose. It's really interesting that you um, found that through sports. Um, yeah, very early on. I generally didn't like sports, and I didn't find that until I experimented with actually like running and doing like age life cycle and things. What I, you know, very challenging things. Well, I should say that also, like I was put because of my brothers who were in all kinds of sports before me. I was put into like uh, our early football programs and our early baseball programs, and I just fucking hated that stuff so much that like being hit by others in pads and being you know knocked down on the ground by others like from an early age that was just offensive to me i really i really hated that so then with uh baseball and everything like that at least no one was hitting me but there was still some sort of version of why and then basketball was I thought I was supposed to like it because the other kids did. And, yes. and so I even went to basketball camp and it was torture. And what I noticed there is that it wasn't torture for others. Yes. Like I had the some of these guys were just so enlivened by it. And I thought, wow, that's so not me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think from an early age that that's what, what sort of started to create an awareness in me how did you make contact with that like first mentor outside of the house i mean how did these how did you find these mentors or how did they show up in your life and then what did you do to create that connection or what did they do to create the connection well lorraine lived just directly across the street and so i asked if i could mow her lawn you know okay. and make some money and and then it just became more of a conversation. She was a single woman who had never wanted to be married uh, or have kids. And, and she wasn't even trying to replace me as one of her kids. It was just more of a relationship and where yeah. I could speak, speak freely. But she was also uh, Catholic and so was I. But like my parents didn't go to church. So I would go to church with her to see if that was for me and she didn't, you know, she didn't require it, you know, either. So it was all on me. So I, I think in general, I was just very curious about mm. people, even though I'm a bit of an introvert who works well in the world and can be in extroverted. I've always been more of a one-on-one -on -one and needing my space. Okay. And I felt like she was, was very aware of that because of her own introversion. So she, she, she just, was a cool place to go and a safe place to go. And then when I saw 
the way that Jim was with the team, the track team and the cross country team. Uh, he was just, that was, I had never seen someone um, be so positive with mm. such a group of people and be such a leader because he wasn't always nice. He was also firm and direct and not necessarily what I would uh, quote unquote call nice, but uh, he was a coach. And, yeah. and that was more important than him being nice. He wasn't our friend. He was our coach. And mm. then by the time I was ready to actually be with him officially, which would have been in high school, uh, he went he went away. He went yeah. to another school district. And that was one of the most devastating things of my young life. Um, I, I remember crying and crying so much. And literally, the reality is he was just a few towns over. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. But that I wouldn't have this experience with him as coach. But your original question is, how did I, I, how did I attract or locate or get in connection with these mentors? And I think that one of the things I've been gifted with is having a sense of people and who I want to align with and who I know is not necessarily any good for me, though it's always been something of a, a gift. And so uh, I knew that I know when there's something there for me that I can receive from another without just taking. I know that like there, there could be a exchange there of some sort. And so I really appreciated both Jim and Lorraine because they were such safe havens for me and i knew yeah. that i could trust that there would be no violation you know there would mm. be no domination there would be no parenting i wasn't looking for another parent it sounds like so this is intuition and i think this is a whole i think i found intuition through yoga to be honest um we were calling it atman or spirit or whatever but it's this thing inside of us that has all that 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 juicy information the truth about ourselves and the world. And I hear you, um, you know, making up that you get there through, well, you said it, curiosity. So besides curiosity, how do you, can you describe if it's even possible that feeling when you know that you're in touch with your intuition, as opposed to when you're reacting to something other than your intuition? Yeah, well, you know, this is, this is early days that I'm describing to you. I think, you know, what I was tracking was intuition early on, but I didn't know it was that. Yeah. And then later, I definitely developed my intuition by acknowledging its presence and becoming aware of that, even that terminology of like yeah. getting a hit or having an awareness or being in the moment and, and knowing exactly what to do um, because I could, I could sense that it was correct and meditation and, uh, yoga and things like that have supported that along the way and and lots of reading and research and and all of that. But I think that how I sort of tracked it early on is that I would call it both an inner knowing, but also a trusting. Like my big thing was that I had to know myself, but I also had to trust myself. And I don't know that at the time I thought of it as me trusting myself uh, because I didn't feel a lot of that trust. I wasn't really looking out for me. I wasn't caring for me. Like I felt mm. ashamed. I, I was in so much shame uh, and, and, and a place of like um, confusion. 
Yeah. Um, but now looking back, I realized that there was something that I, that I trusted. And I think what it, what it lights up for me is a sense of uh, self, a sense of inner knowing that no one can touch, no one has a vote on, no one can weigh in on, no one has a say about. There's just this sense of like clarity. And when I have that sense of clarity, I know that that's, that's my inner wisdom coming out and coming up and that I can trust that. That's how I, how I would answer your question. That's what I, that's what I tap into. That's, that's, that's beautiful. And I think it's, I think it's, like I said, useful. And I also think that that it is something that we as gay men are programmed not to tune into that the safety is somewhere other than that. The safety is to pretend that you like football and (laughs) pretend that you like basketball. However, I think that we're developing our skills as gay men early on because we're having these attractions for others that are taboo or forbidden or disgusting, Mm -hmm. you know, by society's standard. And we're having to be covert about it. So I'm looking over at this guy and we're having this discussion and we are talking in, in a way uh, like internally to each other that develops all those skills of knowingness because that's all we had or all we have. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just be overt and go across in high school and say, well, I guess I could, but I, I didn't and say, oh my God, I find you so attractive. I, w- I would love to go out with you. Uh, and that the fact that you're the captain of the football team makes it even that much sexier. <laughs> I can hardly wait for our first date. You know, that just was not fucking possible. Yeah. So, so we developed these skills, I think, as gay men that really support uh, intuition, instinct, and in the moment knowingness. So you're saying those skills teach us that, yes, I'm having all these feelings about asking this guy out, but we, we know that the world is different and that that would not be a safe thing to do. Well, well as I look at him, I, I have to use these skills of inner knowing to know if he's feeling these same things as I am. Oh. Right? Like, or is he gay? Like gaydar, right? Uh, what mm-hmm. I'm basically talking about is gaydar. Yes. And like, what is gaydar, but intuition, instinct, a knowing in the moment that this person is into you too? That's not easy shit. And, and without words from across a crowded room. Yes. And, 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 you know, like, oh my God, that guy's into me. I'm into him. I think, oh my God, we're going to, we're going to hook up, you know, <laughs> like early, early on. We'll talk about energy were, work. <laughs> totally. It's, it's completely energetic and completely intuitive and instinctual and had nothing to do with like having an actual conversation. Yeah. That is one of those things. Um, I hadn't thought of, describing it um, as a uh, gift. We'll get to those gifts later. That's one of them. Remember to count later, later on. Remember we're dignifying all of it. We're dignifying all of it. Yes. Oh, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about uh, there. Well, one is I want to ask you about what you think a good coach does. You were talking about that one coach with a different, he wasn't nice, but he was an excellent coach. And then um, how, these things that that I'm calling leading to dignity, which is this situation that you were talked about, are like tied to 
tied to our sexuality. And there's so much societal shame on sexuality that I think that, that might cloud that message there. And um, I'd like us to see if we can have a conversation about how we navigated that sexuality led to these tools that might be useful. What I do for a living is I'm a personal coach and I've been doing this for more than 12 years or something like that. And one of the things I find highly helpful as a coach, different from like a, a therapist who, who studies differently than, than a coach would. And I'm talking about a coach that like has actually done their work and not just hanging a shingle out saying, I'm a personal coach, come, come work with me. But that I feel like what, what a coach does really well is that they have this ability to, to not only ask the question, but to hold a certain line and and to to be able to say it as it is and not beat around the bush and come right to it and ask the questions that create the awareness and and the answers and be curious and 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 really importantly not do the work let the let the let yeah. the client do the work yeah. and so i think coach at best is really like listening and then is also able to support the conversation by thoughtful questions and then continuing to be able to track the energy and the connection between what's happening with what the person is saying and how they're being. And then being able to do that and being able to track all those energies, I think a good coach can really support someone to do what they say they want to actually accomplish. Wow. That is great. And one part of that is you said uh, they hold the line. What do you mean by that? You said that right at the beginning. Well, well, I love the fact that coach doesn't necessarily have to kowtow or like be gentle or something with the client if they've been working together for a bit and mm -hmm. have established the, the ground rules. And okay. the ground rules are I'm, I'm here to support and I'll do anything I can to do that. So some of that may be tough for you to hear, but I'm not going to hold back on that. Where someone else like friend or employee or therapist may have to couch it in a certain way. The, the coach can just say, that's fucking bullshit. What's up? Mm. I see that you're, you're saying this in a certain way and yet you're, you're actually doing the complete opposite. So what's happening for you right now? It's not congruent, and I'm curious why. And so they can go right to the thing, um, because I'm not concerned with whether or not you're pissed with me because I've asked you that question. I don't care, actually. What I care about is you moving towards the thing you actually said you want. And if I've made a good agreement with you right up front, I can help you hold that agreement to the end so that you actually start to create the things that you want in your life that you say you're after. And that I believe because I've actually joined with you in this connection that you want. So I'm going to help see you through to that. And I don't really, I'm not, I'm not interested in or invested in whether you like me or not. I'm invested in whether I'm, I can do my job correctly with you and, I love and, that. and powerfully with you. So it sounds to me like a coach is, uh, it's about holding somebody accountable to their own stated goal or mission, as opposed to just helping them feel 
better, feel good, <laughs> or, or not which, feel which at all. I think, which I think is a good thing, right? But I think there's other resources for that. Yeah, I, yeah. Th I think that like therapy is a fantastic thing. I've had tons of therapy in my life. I'm so glad I had because that helped me feel better about who I was. And it, it helped me to go into the depths, something a coach isn't really trained to do. A therapist is, mm. you know, and, and so I have all respect and uh, honor for that, what they do as, as a profession and, and helping to people to feel better and maybe do better. But what I think coach can do different from that is take whatever it is that person says they really would love and are about and, and move that thing forward in their lives in a really powerful way. That, that's what's important to me and about being coach and, and that I get to be there by someone's side to create their dreams or the things they say that are important to them. That, that fills me with a lot of joy. It's a, it's a very mm -hmm. fulfilling career for me. Yeah, I love that. And, um, and as a gay man, do you think that uh, your experience with your cross country, with those sports was um, and not just important to that, but I just like uh, a critical piece of that, of getting there? Or would have you gotten to be a coach even without having done sports in school? Uh, great question. I think the sum total makes me who I am. So I would have to say that whatever it was would have shaped and created the person that I've become. And, and my particular pieces of the puzzle were that uh, sports was a part of that for me. And, and, and along the way, I met really crucial people to support that. And so uh, it's tough to try to parcel that out and and say well i think i would be this anyway but i think that i've always been super curious and i've always been not only for myself like deeply for myself but for others mm. like for others to succeed for others to be great for others to find their their hope their happiness their love their passion like oh, that's always been super important to me mm. You know, sometimes to a fault because yeah. I've wanted so much for for myself and others um, that I forget sometimes to just let them have their experience. Yeah, I, I guess I'm saying that because I've, as an adult, have gotten a lot out of doing being coached to like run a marathon or ride 550 miles on a on a bike, and I before that had. Uh, demonized sports in my own way from my own trauma with them in junior high and whatnot. And um, it's uh, incumbent upon me to like say there might actually, you know, be some, <laughs> some use to sports. And I know there's a lot of access to sports now uh, with gay people. If they want to play sports with other gay people and whatnot, um, that it's, uh, it's not all bad. I yeah. thought running was a, a great uh, way to, sort of grow up and, and, and have that be my sport. Because like I said, those other sports didn't really appeal to me. But here I could learn the, the lessons of like positivity and powerful self-talk and like, you know, visualization and setting up my own paradigm for how I wanted to see things go and then work on my, my talent 
you know, but not mm-hmm. have to involve others hitting me at the same time while I'm learning those things, <laughs> you know, like, like in football being knocked down yes. and stuff. Yeah. I wanted yeah. nothing to do with that. You weren't into the violence. Of, no, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Um, there was something that you had asked earlier, how gay people maybe show up in the world differently. Yes. You know, yeah. Or what the what their gifts might be. What their gifts might be, yeah. And and for some reason, uh, I thought about it when we were talking uh, just a moment ago. And I think one of the things that were GBTQ folks or LGBTQ folks are, are different, how they offer something bigger and better to the world is that I, I feel like there's this observational quality that that mm. I I make up. We all share you know collectively everybody hetero and and lgbtq however i think because i had to be on guard i had to be aware i had to be sensitive i've developed skills of watchfulness and awareness that i that i believe my sisters and brothers who are lgbtq share with me i might be off Maybe, you know, that's too sweeping of a generalization, but I would say, and I really would make up that others share this with me, that we've been having to be watchful our whole lives. So we, we, we take in the world differently. We yes. see things differently. I'm, uh, I, I believe there's just a, a greater level of creativity because of the way we learned that we had to navigate in a different way. When it comes to creativity, I, I, I've often thought that we were more creative, but I've changed a little bit and thought, I think we've just been forced to use our creativity more. And so we yep. have it a lot That's more. Yeah. So I always love it when something I believe is validated by another person. <laughs> <laughs> then it's true. It's <laughs> then it's true. absolutely true. We both believe it. It has got to be true. <laughs> but there's something to that because I remember thinking, like uh, when I first read my first spiritual or new agey books, and there was something about like the way that I, I read that these authors were seeing the world that I'd always believed myself. Mm, yeah. And, and that had never, ever, ever, ever in my years up until this point been validated. So there is something beautiful about aligning with another and realizing I'm not alone. Other yes. people think this way because for so long to think a certain way and never have it validated. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a crazy making about that. Like, am I, off? Oh. like, is there, am I, am I way off base here? Mm-hmm. And then when I started to read new age books and things on visualization and things like that, I thought, wow, I am not alone. Yeah. Yeah. That goes into the, uh, the other question I wanted to ask about, um, Who's, who's your core group? Who's your crew? Who's your family? Um, and I think it's important that we identify who our core sources of community are so that we can invest in them and we can put little uh, deposits in those bank accounts with those people who we need to support us. So I'm asking this, this question because I want men to understand that they do need other people. And that after you understand that you need other people, it's important to know who those other people are. And we could use a lot of other terms to talk about it, but I use the term family in a loose way in both bio and chosen family 
as just a shortcut word to say, who's your family? Who is your core support network? So it might be your bio family, it might be your chosen family, or it might be a mix of people. Um, just when it comes down to it, and now with coronavirus in, in the air, I just want to say, you know, who, and I grew up, you know, uh, through the plague of AIDS and all that, and that shaped my sense of family. It's like, who will visit you in the hospital? And who is going to plan your funeral? Those are two very, very personal things that I think are done by the family. And most of the funerals I have been to have not been planned by their bio family. So that's a mm -hmm. whole whole diatribe on that. Um, so who, who who's your core group? And how do you invest in your family? So who's your family and how do you invest in those relationships? Yeah, beautiful. Um, you know, first and foremost is my husband, Kevin. We've been together for 21 years. And I not only love him, I like him. Uh -huh. I really like him. And I didn't know that that was actually possible. I Well, I didn't, I, I certainly didn't even know that I would have a marriage in this lifetime. And uh, my mom, who's not very emotional, when I called her and announced that we had gotten engaged, uh, this was three years ago, she cried. And uh -huh. she, she, she's barely ever in my uh, lifetime with her. Uh, I've barely seen her cry. Wow. Uh, so that was really moving and, and, and made me realize, wow, I'm going to get married. You know, like <laughs> this is something I did not expect for myself ever. And so Kevin would be that, that person and our, our uh, arrangements for our funeral uh, and for our internment are <laughs> taken care of actually mm -hmm. um, there that's all that's all decided already so there's the answer to that and, and so have you I, decided who's going to speak and whatnot no nothing like that um, who do you think will speak uh well so i'll have to back <laughs> or, up too. or i i could maybe that's taking us off the topic no but, but no I, but no you're not taking off topic i think that as i as i express who my people are that will that will really identify who speaks okay yeah 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 because with me uh so there there's kevin and then our immediate family if you will i was making quotation marks by yeah. the way um <laughs> in los angeles and and those are our friends our immediate friends yeah. and uh then and then and we have quite a quite a few and, and some of these friends I've had forever, like one of my absolute family members is my friend Sam. Uh, and she lives in Huntington Beach and she uh, grew up five houses down from me with train tracks in the middle of us in Abington, Massachusetts. Um, but we've been friends forever and uh, she would certainly be there for me and was there at my wedding and will be there for the rest of my life without question uh, mm -hmm. and would be uh, the first person I would say, well, can Sam say something at my funeral? Because I'd like that. Sandy is her name. Okay. And, you know, I have a friend here, Mare, Meredith, who's part of my life. And then there's this whole world of friends that I've grown up with and I've stayed connected with, you know, through high school and through college. And uh, there's my people, the guys in MKP who have been such a part of my my world and my existence. And I know like if anything came to pass in any capacity, they would be there. One of the men in my I group isn't feeling well and he's had to ask for some support and he's just immediately gotten it from the men in my I group. 
And it's been so lovely to watch that unfold because he and his family couldn't take care of it. And Mm. so we could. And, you know, I just know those guys would be there in in an instant for me. So I think those are the types of people who would speak, you know, those are the type of people who would be there and have been there for me when I've been in the hospital um, or whatever has occurred in my life where I've needed my own support. Definitely the those men have been there for me. I've seen that time and time again. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So then this might sound really basic, but I think that that's what I always need. So um, basically, how do you stay connected to these people? How do, how do you invest uh, in these relationships? Well, I have to say that one of the ways that I eventually had a long-term relationship with somebody, you know, and, and ended up being with Kevin was that I realized that I was really good at staying connected with friends and that I am someone who makes the call. I am someone who sends the note. I am someone who is there to support. And I'm also a friend that equally tells my own stuff and asks that other person what's up for them. So I share the time. It's not all about me and it's not all about them, you know, and that we're there together to to hold one another in a way. So I'm I'm good at that. Like, I feel like that's a strength I have, but that's what taught me um, that I could be in a, in a long-term relationship because for a long time, I, I really wasn't meeting anybody and having anything long-term. And I thought, well, what do I know about myself? And I said, well, I'm a good friend. Like I know how to stay connected to someone. So I could have a long-term relationship because I know how to do that. I just don't know it in all the ways I want it right now. And one of the ways I want it is in a long-term relationship. So I just started to think, well, what do I do well? And, and I knew how to be connected with others. Mm. So I just started doing that more. I started connecting and staying connected with others and not running away, having the conversation, you know, being more willing to show up. And then I st- that helped me to start to develop more intimate relationships that lasted longer. I know I sort of brought two thoughts together there. I hope that was clear. But that's how I how I really learned to be with others in the world. It was really connecting with them and, and and knowing that I already know how to do this. Just stay the course, do those things that you're doing well, and those other things will come along and, and follow. Well, I, I really do think that's a beautiful way to look at how romantic relationships and other love relationships have they inform each other. <laughs> That's what, yep. um, on, on how to be well, with other trust people. Trust and faith. <laughs> so we have so many ways of being connected now. If you could run the world, how much texting, Facebook messaging, uh, Instagram messaging, phone calls, meeting in person. <laughs> you guess you could tell us our perfect world and you could tell us how, or just tell us how you do it. Uh, for me, I definitely... I'm someone who loves a more personal connection. I've sort of succumbed these days to texting and email, but if I could have my way, it's it's more more contact, more connection. Like in the beginning when I was first coaching, I invited the idea of like I think Skype or Zoom or whatever was available. Uh, at the time where you could we could see one another. And most clients did not want that. 
And now clients uh, across the board, when I uh, offer Zoom, they take that option. And so I'm more of being able to see someone. I'm going to feel you anyway, even if we're just on a phone call. But I'd rather be able to see you too and, and have that intimacy. And so getting together, being one-on-one, like right now, I'm so super grateful that I get uh, that I have this relationship with Kev because I get touch in my life. And like, we're in this place of like not being able to be near others or, or being six yeah. feet away. And like the fact that I get to have touch is, is something I'm so, so grateful for right now. Yeah, I really yeah. have noticed uh, just what a relief that is for me. Well, that brings so up. I would uh, rather one-on-one connection is really the, yeah. the, the bottom line for that. And uh, I'm willing to do the other stuff just if that means that I get to connect with you. Awesome. So what are your boundaries? Uh, what, what do you not participate in? Or for me, I don't participate in text conversations on the phone that involve more than four people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've not even actually thought of it as a boundary as much as like, I'm someone who's like, that doesn't work for me. I'm not doing it, you know? So like, um, I don't even think of that as a boundary. It's just like so clear to me. (laughs) So so like if someone wants to argue via text, I'm like, "Mm, no, you know, like I, I, I won't even respond back with anything like if they uh, i won't uh, post something that i know is just stirring the pot you know mm-hmm. i won't respond to somebody being a douche you know like i just won't do it like it's not part of my dna even if i'm like on this side like that guy's such a jerk you know for saying that or doing that i'm not i'm like let him be it doesn't matter. Me saying something here is not going to change that. That guy's probably going to still continue to be a jerk. So. I think that's great. I think that's the tool of silence is is not spoken about in communication these days. So I want to talk about two things uh, before we end, which is one, I think we've already talked about it, but anything specific that you think the LGBTQ or people that find themselves in the other category have like what kind of hero's journey they might have or what goal they get from that hero's journey and then i just want to ask your perspective on the pandemic yeah um, sure. I, i'm snickering because it's just i can't believe i'm saying that sentence so um, <laughs> so um when it comes to lgbtq people and i think people in the other category too like this some people that might be in a specific minority uh whether it's racial or or economic or whatever it is, wherever they are, I think the experience of the other causes challenges, but then I think we come out of the other side with perspectives or gifts. And I'm wondering, I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you if you can name any of those or if you or if you disagree. Well, my thought is that there's something about important about this idea of the hero's journey. And I know you've mentioned it, but I don't know how much you've actually spoken to it on your podcast, but this idea that... Well, I will be going back to it. We're going to be looking at that a lot, very often. Right. And that Joseph Campbell wrote a lot about the hero's journey, correct? Yeah. Yes. And that that it was this idea that we we have to uh, experience this dark night of the soul and that in experiencing this place of darkness within ourselves, 
that we have this opportunity to transform that and see see the light and make our way to the other side. And, and because of that, because we've gone through that, because we've experienced that, that there's a depth that is created from that, a, grav- a gravitas that's created yes. from having this experience. And I mean, the and part that, about it that I relate to is that when I look at these circles and the diagrams and talk about it, is it starts in the ordinary and it ends back in the ordinary, except for that we see the ordinary completely different having been on the journey. That's right. And that's the way I feel when I visit my family. I am yeah. definitely my family's shaman. Yeah. Just because I had a different it's experience. The same. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say the same for me with my family. I'm, I'm definitely their shaman. I would absolutely say that I agree with that. And, and so to answer the question, I think that uh, the hero's journey of being, you know, gay and going through that, what felt like very much, especially in college, that dark night of the soul, where I just thought, first of all, I, I just felt like, I don't know, somehow that this was a curse to be, to be dealt with, like, and that I had to like, I had to just do my best to, to, to live with this, you know? instead of it being the gift that it is and the beauty that it is. And I feel like that sort of uh, hero's journey is never, although I feel better about where I am now and it feels very much like a gift and I feel like I am the person I am because of the fact that I'm gay. I feel like there's always many little hero's journeys always going on. New things to look at, new ways of being with this information and this energy and Seven or eight years ago, I went through, I feel like a hero's journey around recognizing, really realizing the shame that I had been carrying all my adult life around all the societal bullshit that I had taken on about being gay and, and that, I, that I had believed that, that I had, uh, had processed that I had taken that in and I operated out of a level of shame instead of really recognizing that. I have a place at the table and that I'm not asking for anybody's permission anymore to be there, you know, and it was a real awakening and a real awareness, but I very much had to go through that shame. I wish I didn't, but you know, on a certain level, I wish I didn't, I know that it was important that I did, but it was painful. Yeah. And so to be able to come out on the other side and be like looking at the world, the same world, but differently now, like you referenced, mm-hmm. was such a gift. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way, even though it was murder. It was, it was so painful. There was just so many tears and days of crying and feeling like I had been cursed by this lifetime, you know, and not having any real way of expressing it to anybody. You know, there was no one close to me who I could just turn to and say, wow, I'm going through this <laughs> because being gay, it's so alone making, uh, especially in the beginning. There, There is no sense of support. And I didn't know when I was 17 or 18 years old that I could just go to a therapist. That wasn't an option for me. You know, there was just no one to talk to. And even though I wasn't suicidal, I remember at one point calling a suicide line just so I could talk to someone about being gay. Because I knew that it was a confidential space. Mm. 
And I didn't have any of those thoughts. I just knew that like I had nowhere else I could talk about it. And then so when you come back to the the world after being on your hero's journey, uh, just the, the, the one specifically that I'm talking about, about being queer. So what are those insights like when you're with, when you've returned home, I'll use my air quotes, and yeah. what's different than when you left? Well, I think the, the massive insight is the responsibility I have to pay it back and to offer it to others and to be present for other people who may be going on their journey. And I think that a great big part of who I am as a leader in the Mankind Project is so that I can support uh, those brothers and sisters of mine who are in my community. And I, I'm there for them all. I'm, I'm there for all men. And I know that a big part of why I'm there is is to be present and show up for other folks' journeys, especially those in my community, because there was no one there for me. There was no one there uh, I got to turn to to be there. And I, I am there and I can be there for others. And I want to be very much so. And I have been. I very much have been. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm super grateful for that. Awesome. And I do want to honor you for that, for being there. It's still unusual because this is a new road that we've been able to travel over the last 15 years. Whatever, 25 years ago, you could get arrested for touching somebody in a bar. Yeah, and people are still being killed for it in this day and age for being gay. And what does that say to the the youngster who is is dealing with these same feelings that I've talked about today with Mm -hmm. you? who has no one to turn to, you know, that, that just fucking sucks. At least he might be able to see his image on the TV or read about himself in a book or a magazine where I, you know, I didn't have that really to any great degree. And so it just felt so alone. So I know still though, that there are, are folks out there that are seeing those things, hearing those messages that still want to keep us us LGBTQ folk in a box and say, stay there. And that's all you're, you're allotted and you better like it, you know? And, and I'm here to align with those other folks to say, fuck you. That is not going to be my existence. And, and, and I'm not signing up for that. And and I hope to be able to, to be there for, for others in that way. And I, and I think I have. To, to and, finally not only just say fuck you, but to say I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay at who I am. And I accept that. And I love that and I appreciate that. Well, I, I would like to share that I've I've seen you celebrating who you are as a gay man and seeing you own that truth of your value in front of groups of men, straight men, in fact, is where I saw it. And not in an aggressive, I'm better than you way or whatever. You just, you know, you know who you are. And knowing who you are uh, is bringing strength to that. And that excites me so much because I have this diagram. I don't have it here with me. I made it. It's about I'm trying to move us from oppression to celebration. And I think that that has five levels. There's oppression. And then there's tolerance. And then there's acceptance. And then there's liberty. And I think we're kind of in this liberty stage right now, somewhere between acceptance and liberty. We know that 
at least in the bubble I live in, in West Hollywood or, you know, the, the big centers, we have this liberty, but we're not taking the opportunity to actually celebrate who we are the same way we celebrate other, other others. <laughs> Celebrating all of our diversity, I think, is really important to becoming solid members of society that have a lot to offer others. Yeah. And well, what I see you doing so well and by doing this and offering this is that in between acceptance and liberty, you're offering a shred of dignity and retelling our story in a new way and holding yeah. ourselves in a, in a greater light so that we can retell our stories from a perspective of hopefulness yes, and, and, and maybe even joy that can enlighten the world. And so then then maybe that trajectory of moving towards celebration, more enlightened beings and celebration <clears throat> ah, is mm-hmm. possible. Yeah, that's the reason I started it with start the show with dignity. Um, investing in our own dignity is the is the path to not only our own happiness, but to the well-being of our communities and our and the world, regardless of which group you start in. <laughs> So how beautiful uh, that you offer that. And thank you. Thank you. I don't know how to frame this question. Just thoughts on the pandemic. Well, where I'm sitting with it right now is that we're in a completely unique and unprecedented time. No one, no one across the board knows what to do with. And so what I feel like is important during this time is to not make up stories and to not create future surfing that you know nothing about right now. And I believe that in general, normally, like do the things that you can do to create a strong and helpful and healthy life for yourself, but don't get into such future surfing that just makes you crazy. And right now, because everything is a new, everything is an unknown, staying present is more important than ever. Staying present to yourself, to the people that you care about, to your well-being, to nature, to every moment is really where it's at. And yes, do things that you can to help support your future, but don't wander off into those places for too long a period of time because that's unhealthy and unsustainable. And uh, so taking better care right now of yourself is, is about living in the moment and a challenge to do that thing that you said you were going to do, you know, all the time, but you always have this excuse why you can't get to it or can't do it. Like you can now, you can do that thing. If it's at home, especially you can do it. If there's that book that you were planning to write, or for me, a closet I wanted to clean out, you know, now is that time. Yep. Clean the freaking closet out. Yep. So Focus on what you can right now. And, and, and please don't focus on the things that don't support you right now. They will not be supported. There's nothing there for you. There's no there there. That's wonderful. That is really wonderful about being in the moment, understanding that I'm healthy and safe right now. How do you feel about the news? How much, how much news do you consume on a daily basis? I, I don't. Uh, I, don't uh, I don't think much about the news. Uh, at all. I don't spend a lot of time there. I'm aware enough to know what's going on and I keep present and I'm respectful of the fact that uh, this is a thing and it's going on and gather information on a needed basis. But uh, I just told my mother she needs to shut the TV off and 
go outside or do something else. And she's been heeding that uh, and doing that and listening to that. I think it's super important to watch too much of that. I see with another friend of ours uh, from New York, if he's watching it in a loop, he just almost becomes untethered. It's, it's like watching someone frazzled, you know, it's almost like seeing someone like in my early days when I did drugs and seeing them being like just shaky and sort of out of it. That that's the impression I have when I see someone's watch too much news. Uh, I'm sensitive to energy anyway, so I can Mm. kind of see that sort of level of like panic that's been created by these stories that they can do nothing about and have little or nothing to do with them in a way. It's really a matter of handling what you can at where you are and doing the right thing in the moment that's, that's right for you. For example, wrestled with the idea of having these couple of friends over and we realize we we just can't do that right now. It's not correct. Mm. It's not it's not right. Not for them. Not for us. Not for anybody. And that we're all connected in a way, and we have to be respectful of that right now. Yeah. And um, again, you're. Uh, well, first I thought that would be your response, but I, I really do see it correlating with my friends who are the most torn up about this emotionally right now are the ones consuming the most news, and it makes me sad. Because they're my friends and I love them. And, yeah. But then I, the only alternative right now is to be with yourself. Yes, yes, I, I get that. And from a archetypal viewpoint of this, or there were times when that we have been by ourselves. Like there, there are spaces and places within our ancestry where you know we've lived without many things we know how to do this it's part of our dna uh we we know how to to survive you know whether that's with ourselves or with others we know how to get quiet to hibernate to go within it's part of our makeup and and so i believe we know what to do right now and the only place we run into trouble with that is when we try to fight that that natural awareness that natural instinct to go within and be quiet and be silent and separate and mm. and re recalibrate this is a huge opportunity for all of us have you uh seen this poem it's floating around everybody stayed home this woman a beautiful introvert did you see that yeah i did i did i did see that something about how you know people had conversations and yes and, you know met with family like it's been beautiful really in a way like everybody that i've known lots of folks who are part of my community have contacted me as part of my immediate family like my sisters and my brothers and my mom you know they they reached out and you know really made an effort to to say hello and check in and you know i've experienced that too it's a beautiful thing so beautiful i've had three ex-boyfriends from way back reach out to me yeah sweet so touching so touching and i'm you know reaching out having zoom calls with just normal people (laughs) 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 non-business related (laughs) Uh, i've never thought to use my my zoom platform that i own to (laughs) to have conversations with our our friends and family but now that seems to be uh a possibility like yeah. i thought today one of um 
my sister-in-law, she, it's her birthday. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to get the family together to wish Trisha a happy birthday, you know? And, yeah. and I thought, but that's, that's weird. We've never done that. But so what? We could. Now we can. Now and everybody's can. home. Um. <laughs> lead, lead away. Yeah, yeah. That's the great thing about leadership is seeing the thing and, and doing it, picking it up and going for it. Yeah. You know? Well, another thing that I think of doing, uh, besides having these Zoom calls with groups of friends, just for friends, is uh, opening my morning meditation to people who want to do it with me. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. A, yeah, that's a thought. I'm, I'm really excited as an introvert. Um, I really think this is the time of the introvert. <laughs> me and my introverted uh, partner, my boyfriend, were out last night for a second, just walking to get some air, and kind of laughed. It was like, "Wow, the streets are so quiet." I mean, we live right in Hollywood, two blocks from you know the Hollywood Walk of Fame and all that, and um, very busy. And it's very quiet now. And with the rain and with fewer cars going, the, the, the air was sweeter and we could hear all the birds. And we said, well, this is what happens when everybody lives our lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's true because Kevin and I both work from home and we were saying the same thing. Like, this is not so different from our lives where yeah. we're, we're very we have our separate spaces, which I'm super grateful for yeah. and feel privileged to have. And we, you know, that we work out of. And then we have our shared spaces where we come together and we enjoy so much, like making food in the kitchen or watching TV in the living room. And, you know, that's our regular day to day. So we're, we're quite used to this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciating that this is not, you know, too far off the mark of like my life. JD, I just want to thank you for your time. I think you are a real asset to the planet and you're a light worker. You are a coach in the sense that the way we were talking about that earlier. You are full of love and you are also full of determination to go through rough patches that will help people see themselves. I'm a uh, loving seeing you on my screen in my studio and <laughs> i i've loved uh, getting to know you and i really want to thank you for your time here and uh for the work that you do in the in the world in the community uh well thank you it's been an absolute delight to be here my physical body is really warm right now my heart uh, especially is really open and i just feel very connected to you and to the people who may be listening and it just feels like a joy to maybe add some levity or some light into a time that, that feels so scary and dark, because I know that right now I'm the one who can hold that space, you know, for others in, in a way that maybe someone else can't. And there'll be a time when I need someone to hold it for me. And so I, I'm glad to be able to be there now. And I just appreciate my time with you and who you are in this world and and what you are just called to bring to the world, uh, especially to my LGBTQ community. It, it really means a lot to me because uh, I feel like on so many levels, we just haven't had this level and this type of support 
and appreciation and love. And so thank you for bringing a little bit more love into a space that really could use it. I'm all about that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Girly Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at Girlymen. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. We just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlymen.com. Until next time.